Hello, and welcome to our first ever live Tough Take podcast episode. I'm Zach Green. And I'm Luca DeLosta. And today, we have a lot on the slate to talk about. We got March Madness. We're up to the Elite Eight, almost the final four games. We have some NFL, and then we'll end with a talk about the Washington Capitals. And to start things off, why don't we add a special guest for today? Let's add our good friend, Zach Jackson, to the podcast. What's up, Zach? How's it going? Ready to talk some basketball, maybe a little bit of football as well? Yep, we got a lot, a lot on our to hands. cover, definitely. So we'll start with March Madness and Madness. Highlight that word, put it in bold. Madness, it has been so far. We're in the Elite Eight, no one seeds. I mean, wow, what are just your guys' first reactions to so far throughout the tournament? Well, I mean, starting with last night, the first game with number nine FAU defeating Kansas and it was a great game we all watched it together at Poorhouse which was really fun and you know just to see a team that small with you know a stadium capacity of what 2600 yeah come this far it's crazy and Zach how about you at that game last night we were all together watching it yeah it's interesting I mean FAU is the kind of team that, like, just it seems like they came out of nowhere. They had, what, three losses this season, I believe. They won their conference, and they were really a solid team all year. They're not in the Power Five, so not a lot of people are paying attention to them. But, I mean, they're a very solid team, and they've proven that. Now, they a lot of their wins have been, you know, sort of closer. But, I mean, they've gotten to the Final Four. That's what it's about. A win's a win. And, hey, we'll see how they do against either San Diego State or Creighton because they'll play the winner of them. Uh, next weekend. And it was fun because, you know, both teams are kind of like Kansas State fan favorite, FAU fan favorite. Last year, St. Peter's was a fan favorite. They didn't get as far as the Final Four. But, you know, every year has, you know, different stories, and I love the story. Yeah, and I think if they face off against Creighton in that Final Four, that will be a matchup that will be back and forth. You're talking about two centers who are very dominant because FAU has that 7-1 center they have good guards. They shoot the three ball well. That's what they did yesterday to beat that Kansas State team, which I really love that Kansas State team story. You're talking about none of those players were recruited to that Kansas State team. They were predicted to be last in the Big 12 this year, and then they pushed all the way to the Elite Eight and nearly, nearly pushed to the Final Four. I want to talk about, you know, Zach, you you picked correctly UConn Final Four, you picked them to go on. So that was the second game last night. So what do you what are your takeaways from that game? I mean, UConn really just proved they have proved like through this entire tournament, and I believe earlier in the season as well, is that they're a serious team. They should have been seeded higher. A lot of the, the main reason I believe that they are a four seed is they did have a slump in the middle of the season, but they were very strong before that, and then they were able to carry through after that and finish the season strong. You know, they did not they did not win the big east. They ended up facing uh, Marquette in the Big East semifinal, and they lost by two in that game. But honestly, I mean, a lot of these conference games are tougher that they play in. And once they expand beyond their conference and play teams that, you know, maybe aren't as used to their game, they can really take advantage of that. And they prove that in the tournament that they can play well against any team and they can beat any team in college basketball. And one thing about, I mean, all all number one seeds are gone, and that's who most people pick to win. So picking a team like UConn or, you know, Texas, SDSU, Creighton, gives you kind of an upper hand because, you know, once, you know, one team falls, a lot of other people can trickle after that. 
And to add on to UConn, their success coming, starting really, usually you'll see teams start from their guards and go to their bigs. But I think UConn really is centered around their center, Sonogo. And he is such a dominant player in the paint. He could, he's shot the three ball pretty well through the tournament. He's only shot a couple, but he's made them. And I saw Zach and I, when we were watching that Iona game, the stat they brought up, if he scores like 20 plus points a game, they are like 17 and 0. So they, when he succeeds, they succeed. And he's been just terrorizing teams day in, day out. But they did start their first two games. They started from behind. They or they started the second half from behind. So they were a second half team. That Gonzaga game, oh my goodness, did they just slaughter them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they proved that they're a serious contender. I mean, a lot of people may argue that St. Mary's or Iona or, you know, Arkansas, the teams they faced weren't as good. They were all lower seeds than UConn, but Gonzaga was a higher seed. They just beat UCLA, who was one of the best teams in the country. They were coming off that win. Drew Timmy had 36 points in that game. And then in the following game that we saw last night, UConn held him to 12. And last night, Gonzaga also shot terribly from three. I think it was two for 19 a couple minutes left in the game. Terrible. Gonzaga was just, everything was wrong last night against UConn. But, I mean, don't take credit away. UConn, they could be, like, there's there's a reason they did bad. UConn's a good team defensively. They're a good team offensively. They're a serious contender, and I agree with, I agree with Zach. I think that they were underseeded. I think that a four-seed was actually good for them because they had a chip on their shoulder to go through the tournament with. But they're going to have a tough matchup in the Final Four no matter who they play. And talking about that, Matchup, we have number six, Creighton, number five, San Diego State. Today are playing, and it's currently 15-9 to in favor of the Creighton Blue Jays. So close game there. Then the other game later with Miami and Texas should also be a great game, which whoever plays that will play UConn. So, Zach, from a, you know, a UConn fan right now, who would you rather play in that game? To be honest, I think Texas is just a little bit scarier of a team. Uh, Miami's, I feel, is a little more beatable. Texas is a very strong team. I do think UConn can beat either, and I think both will give them a run for their money, unlike any team that we've seen in the tournament so far. As far as Miami, they're hot right now. They just beat Houston by 17 points, which was the number two team in the country, and that was a very impressive win that has to be acknowledged. Their guard play is amazing. They, I mean, Nigel Pack, Isaiah Wong, they have several guards there that are just firing on, on all cylinders. Texas, however, is a well-rounded team. They have six guys that are startable on pretty much every team in college basketball. I, rooting for UConn, would rather see them face Miami. I think that's a little bit more of a beatable opponent, opponent but I do think Miami could re- – I, I realistically think – Miami can beat UConn. I think Miami can win it all. I think Texas can win it all. And I think UConn can win it all. I think all the talents on that side of the bracket right now. Yeah, I agree. I think that the winner of the national championship is going to come out of the UConn, Texas, and Miami side. And I think it comes down to they are more well-rounded teams. They've seen more competition. And I think guard play 
in March Madness, I think guard play carries, and I think that showed in that Houston-Miami game. Miami's guards are some of the top guards, like as a combination of guards in the country, and they really just torched that massive Houston team. So let's scoot back a little bit from, you know, the center of the bracket right now. Let's scoot back a little, you know, to number 15, Princeton beating Arizona. We've had a lot of, you know, big upsets this year. You know, F talk about FDU beating Purdue. Talk about Kansas losing to Arkansas. I mean, a lot of big games. Yeah, and I mean, Zach, you and I had Arizona all the way. I had them national championship. I believe you did too, or you had them final four. And they lost that first round. I mean, how about Princeton? Yeah, no one saw that one coming. And with these 15-2 upsets, it's always the team that you least expect to win. Yeah. Princeton, no one expected Princeton, who wasn't even the best team in the Ivy League. They did win the championship or their conference championship, but they weren't the best team in the Ivy League. It was Yale all year. And then Princeton came in and no one expected them to beat Arizona. And they did it. They were they were on fire. They won that game. It was very impressive. It shocked me. Uh Arizona was a huge disappointment, I'm sure, to a lot of people's brackets, but especially to mine and Lucas as well. But, I mean, yeah, it's it was very unexpected. And then Princeton proved that they're serious. It wasn't just a fluke game because the next game that they played, they won on and they beat Mizzou by a pretty favorable margin. And then they, they gave Creighton a run for their money. So they were they were a team that was competitive all the way through, and again, you look, guard play. They shot the three ball. Their guards got it done when they needed to. And then talking about, you know, 15-2 to a 16-1 to with Purdue losing. I mean, Zach Eady, I mean, he's just not, not like, he couldn't get it done versus a team that played him really well. They doubled him and left the corner open to which Purdue missed their shots, and which that's what FDU tried to do in round two, which didn't really work so well. But, I mean, you just look at like Purdue, a lot of people picked them to go pretty far and nevertheless win. So when you have a you know a playing team like FDU come in and just kind of beat you all around, it, it was surprising. I mean it was, and you look at you look at FDU and I saw them you watched them, they had to play a first four game. And you watched that first four game, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I really liked what I saw there. I saw that they dominated that game. They were all over. And then Zach also, what I saw in the FDU versus Purdue game, what they did to Zach Eady is almost similar to what Maryland did to, to Purdue when they beat them pretty bad. You play Zach Eady, you double him, and you throw contact at him. I don't think Zach Eady plays as well through contact as some other bigs. You're right, and you just brought up that Maryland game. I was at that game. I got to watch it. It was pretty cool. And one of the things I really noticed, uh, the way Maryland was able to beat Zach Eady, you look at him, you can tell, but you can also see it in his gameplay. He's slow. He's not fast. Maryland picked up the pace of the game. They played fast, and they beat him. They hit a bunch of threes, which may have been a little bit lucky. But, I mean, hey, they played a fast game, and they won that game. FDU was similar. They were playing a relatively fast-paced game, maybe not as fast-paced as Maryland, but that's one of the big keys to beating a guy like Zach Eady. He's very beatable. Um, I know he's a unique specimen, and he's very, very good at basketball, but that's probably his biggest flaw. Yeah. And then moving to the reigning champions who couldn't get it done versus the Arkansas number 8, 
Kansas, losing 72 to 71. We had a friend, Daniel. He kind of <laughs> got kind of got screwed on that one. He thought they were a lock. It didn't turn out to be. And in this game, I mean, the coach took off his shirt afterwards, waving it around. It was, I mean, whenever you have a number one seed go down pretty much in any round, besides probably the championship or final four, everyone's going to go crazy because, you know, number one, you expect to go pretty far. Like you're another friend, Motaz, you know, he picked them all number ones to go to the final four. So, which usually isn't a safe idea, but hey, that, I, I love Arkansas. I love their coach. I love the energy he brings. And you can see from his energy, as you mentioned, waving his shirt off, like taking off his shirt, waving it. He brings that energy to the team. That team loved having fun. They loved playing basketball. And they're a, they were a scary team. They brought in a couple guys this year, recruiting wise, that were very, very good. And then they're a good team. I mean, they, they won against Illinois, they beat Kansas. And Kansas was one of the favorites to come out of their region and go to the national championship. So I think that Arkansas could have gone further if they didn't face UConn. As Mo would say, be for real. All right. So the same night that Alabama lost, Houston lost. So let's talk about this. Both one seeds going down in same night. Number five, San Diego state beat number one, Alabama Crimson Tide 71, 64, and a pretty dominant game. It never felt like Alabama was truly close in the second half. I mean, how about Brandon Miller? He was horrible Oof. in that game. Zach, I mean, you watched it. We all saw it. We were all together where we probably shouldn't have been watching. We were supposed to be watching a play, but we were watching that game because our brackets mattered. How about Brandon Miller? Yeah, I mean, when the star of your team isn't performing, that's bad. And that's one of the reasons when you're picking a team to go all the way in college basketball, you want a team that's well-rounded and a team that's not going to rely on one player. Brandon Miller was clearly the best player on that team. And acknowledging another team, Gonzaga with Drew Timmy, I mean, he scored almost half their points in their game against UCLA, which is great. But if you get a team that can shut him down, hold him to 12 points, they're going to lose. And that was the thing with Brandon Miller is that, San Diego State was able to hold him to not having a great game. And when that happens, you know, that's when upsets happen. So you want to focus on those well-rounded teams to see, you know, who's going to be doing well versus who may fall in an upset. And Alabama was a prime example of that this year. It was most kind of infuriating about these games is like when Alabama at the end, they had many chances, you know, they were missed. Missed one-on-one free throws by San Diego State. They had, you know, missed possessions. And when you get stops and then you can't score offensively, that's what stings the most because you have the chance to go and just, you know, put a couple bat, get a couple layups and get the game closer. And then when you, when you, you know, go too fast instead of, you know, taking a second and getting a good quality shot, that's when you can get the doors blown off. And I think that the matchup was actually in favor of San Diego State. You look at Alabama, they love to shoot that three ball. They rely on that three ball a lot. San Diego State, it was similar versus Charleston. Charleston liked that three ball in that first round. San Diego State matched up well. You go, look, Alabama shot 11% from three. They went three for 27. That's where San Diego State thrived in that game, and they pounced on the opportunity to be a good Alabama team by matching up well. Yeah. I mean, San Diego State, 
they're one of those teams that just sort of flew under the radar this season. They weren't in a power five conference. I mean, they're a good team. I could see them in the national championship. I really could. If I were to pick between them and Creighton in the game tonight, I'm, I'm going with San Diego state. I think they're the better team. I think they've had more challenges in their, in their road to, to get here. And Hey, they, they deserve their respect. They're, they're a good team. Another thing I would like to note about San Diego state that, I think a lot of people forget about in 2020, they were on pace to be a number one seed in the tournament. So I just, I think that's worth noting that, you know, in the following years, like last year, they didn't do too well, but Hey, a lot of the same guys are still on that team now. And, you know, they, they want that. They want those victories that they thought they were going to get two years ago before the the quarantine um, pandemic that shut down the tournament. And in the same night, we have we talked about it briefly, but number five Miami beating number one Houston, eighty nine to seventy five in the Sweet Sixteen. And again, this game, Houston went down in the first half, came out the second, got back up, and then never saw a good lead again. And then moving on to oh, feels like a while ago, number thirteen Furman. Beating the number four Virginia sixty eight to sixty seven in a round of sixty four, crazy ending. This was one of the first games of the tournament. I think second after the Maryland game, and I mean, what was Virginia thinking at the end? I mean, you. I don't think you can blame Ka Clark for that as much as as I was I'm not I'm not going to lie I was also blaming him like that that was not his smartest play but Virginia's head coach did a, said something after the game that was very smart is you look at that one play compared to all the great plays he's had in his career over at UVA and there are way more big plays from Clark than there were including that little play there it was dumb he should have crossed half court but you have to give also credit to Furman. They knew that they had to cross half court in 10 seconds. So they didn't foul immediately. And they just took advantage of an opportunity that was placed on a platter in front of them. Something else I would like to say about that game is that Virginia shouldn't, they should have won that game earlier on. People focus a lot on the end of this game. Like, you know, they messed up then, but I mean, Furman was a 13 seed. They were a four. They were expected to win that game and they had a strong lead. And I don't know what was in the players' heads or, or what happened, but Furman just came in and Virginia blew the lead. And yeah, they lost it at the end with that bad play, but they made a lot of mistakes before that, that cost them that game. Yeah. I believe with like four or so minutes left, they were up by 12 points. So as you said, they blew a lead themselves. They had it in their hands and it wasn't just Kia Clark who blew that lead. It was Virginia as a whole. They fumbled the bag. They were close enough. Furman, they just played all four quarters, whereas or all two halves, whereas Virginia didn't. And then if we want to go into highlighting some star players, Luke, I'll let you start with Drew Timmy. Well, actually, why don't we let Zach start with Drew Timmy? Because, Zach, I believe this is your player that you want to watch continuing or you wanted that you said was the most impressive player so far in the tournament. For sure. He was, I mean, he was, he was unbelievable. There's no other way to put it. He dominated all three games up until 
the game they just played last night against UConn. I mean, he was amazing. And he played one of the best teams in the country, UCLA, 36 points. I mean, Drew Timmy just scores. He's If he was on a better team, I, I don't know what would have happened. If he was on a team that wasn't Gonzaga, that was maybe a little bit more well-rounded, if he fit in there, that would have been a dangerous team because I think there's an argument to be made for him being one of the best players, maybe the best player in college basketball, especially after his performance in the tournament. I mean, he's he's a great player. I don't know what will happen for him in the future. I think we're still waiting to figure that out, but um, it cannot be denied that he's just he's really good. Yeah, they would definitely not have made the Elite Eight if it wasn't for Drew Timmy. And how about you, Zach? What, who was your player to watch? Who has been your most impressive player throughout the tournament so far? I really like Marcus Carr of Texas. He 15.8 points per game, three rebounds, four assists. Not the biggest numbers, but you know, getting it done efficiently, 42.9 field goal percentage, 36.3 from three. He's played really well. He's played, played his role. Hasn't had too many bad games. So when you look at, you know, point guards and teams that, you know, you go, you know, eight for 11 one game and then one for seven the next, you know, that's not really consistency. So when you have a consistent guard like Carr, that can really set you up. And, you know, Texas, number two, they could make a run for Miami's money and show out. And then Luca Jordan Miller of Miami, the playoff later, talk about him. Well, my most impressive player is another player on Texas. My most impressive player is Dylan Disu. Call me crazy. He ha- he left early in the last game. He played like two minutes due to a foot injury. Call me crazy, but this has been the most impressive player in the March Madness tournament so far. 15 points a game, seven rebounds a game, 0.67 assists a game, but in 71% from the field. This is counting him not scoring at all in that, in that third game. And he might not play tonight because he is going questionable with a foot injury. But this is the most impressive player in this tournament. It's him or Marquise Noel, and I don't think you can argue it. And I'll go back to Jordan Miller. 15.1 points per game, 6.2 rebounds as a guard, or sorry, and 2.6 assists, shooting above 50% from the field, which is pretty good. 35.2 35.2 from three. He's a great player. I think he has great potential along with going against Marcus Carlater. So it'll be interesting to see who has the edge there when that's all said and done. And a little score update for the Creighton game. Creighton is up 28 to 22 with four minutes and 38 seconds left. So they've had the lead most of this entire game. So but before, before we move on, I think we all three have to talk about Kansas State and Marquise Noel. I mean, you talk about a guy who is not going to probably see the NBA because he's 5'8", he's a small guard. but And he's he's, 23 years old. He's older, he's short, but what a performance he has put on throughout the tournament. Him maybe backed by that little baby music that they'd be playing or were playing in their locker room, how about, I mean, how about Marquise Noel? The guy out of Harlem, I mean, I just can't stop watching him. I mean, Zach, how, how do you like his game? How is performance through the tournament? Well, his brother can't stop watching him either. He he had the same expression <laughs> the, 
the whole night. But I mean, as a short, as a shorter guy, he hit some big time threes last night, and that's what they needed to stay in that game. It was close until the end, and you know, I would have liked to see him, you know, get a shot off in his last couple seconds. I don't know what they were doing. They took it up very gingerly. He did it himself, and then you know, the ball kind of got stripped and and good night, Irene. But you know, a smaller player and you know, like Muggsy Bogues. Smaller, but got it done and got it done efficiently. So you know, probably probably play overseas, might get something smaller, but you know, very good player. I never saw it coming. Yeah, and how about you, Zach? He's you know he reminds me of Shabazz Napier from what eight years ago now. Amazing player, guard who really carried his team, and not to overshadow some of the other players on that Kansas State team that were really good as well, Keontae Johnson. Uh, just one of them. But I mean, Kansas State was great. And he was a big part of that. A lot of people slept on this team this year because they did have some bad losses during the regular season. But they also had some great wins. They proved they could beat anybody. Maybe they did have a bit of an easier path to get to the Elite Eight. But I mean, either way, Marquise Noel was amazing. He he stands out a lot because of his size out there, which kind of was part of the thing that made him a fan favorite. But he was also just an amazing player, size or no size. I mean, he was he was awesome. He had 19 assists in that game, I believe was a yeah. uh, NCAA record, which, I mean, some of them were just unbelievable. You could watch these assists over and over again, and you couldn't believe this was coming from a guy his size. And he just – he really played amazing, especially in that Michigan State game. I mean, anyone who was watching that game, he definitely stands out. And he had that one play where he's getting the ball, walking across half, says, watch this, and throws a half-court alley-oop to Keontae Johnson. Speaking of him, what a story. I mean, collapses over at, at Florida, is told that he might not ever play basketball again, says, you know what? No, I'm going to play basketball. Goes to Kansas State and falls out on a team that – I have so much respect for that team, the coach, everyone in that organization – over at Kansas State, what a season they put together. And I hope that they can do that again going forward because they were a lot of fun to watch. Worth mentioning with Keontae Johnson is that he's also a lot of draft boards having him at early second-round pick in this upcoming NBA draft. So we'll see if he gets drafted. could be interesting. We might get to see him play in the NBA a little bit. So talk about the NBA and now go to the NFL. Let's talk about we have let's talk move on to the new Saints quarterback Derek Carr going from Adams, Renfro, Waller, well Waller last season, Jacobs to Olave, Michael Thomas, who got signed, Kamara, well, legal situation, and Jawan Johnson and Taysom Hill and Jamal Williams. So you know, pretty good running back duo there. But Zach, I want to hear your thoughts, your initial kind of reaction, if you can think back to when he was signed and what you kind of think, you know, what's their kind of their base and what's their, you know, kind of ceiling with this upcoming season. Honestly, I think that that Saints team could be a disaster. I don't know how great of a fit he is. Derek Carr, I mean, it it kind of sucks because – he had a pretty solid prime for a while watching him last year. I mean, the passes he's, he's making aren't, aren't as good. And he's just, I feel like he's lost a little bit of his footing 
and he's not as good of a player as he was maybe a couple years ago. And I don't really see him getting any better. He's getting older. And I don't think there's a lot of, I mean, there is some, I won't say that there's none, but there's not a lot of talent on the Saints offense to support him. Not nearly as much as there was on the Raiders. So I don't know. I, I think the ceiling is maybe, maybe playoffs, maybe wild card. Um, now that division is pretty weak. So, you know, maybe they could win the division, but I don't see them being a serious contender. And I don't think Derek Carr is a great player anymore. And Luke, I want to pass it off to you, but I want to make it known that Carr also doesn't have much, you know, as an older veteran, not much playoff experience, you know, most recently losing to the Bengals in the wild card, never really, you know, he didn't, wasn't that, he didn't really elevate the team in that game. So if you want, you know, the Saints trying to get a vet, a veteran QB to come in, you know, not the best situation, but Luca, what do you think of it? I'm kind of with with Zach as well. I don't think the ceiling is as high as people are are putting it to seem. The offensive line difference is not much. They're both in the bottom half of the NFL when it came to offensive line this past season. As Zach said, he he might have had more weapons in Las Vegas offensively than he does in New Orleans, especially going forward, nobody knows if Alvin Kamara is going to play right now a game in the NFL again. We have to all see how that pro- progresses over the offseason. So I-, I do think that he can make playoffs because I do think that that division is very, very poor, and I think the Saints are the best team in that division. So at playoffs, yes. Competing in the playoffs, I don't know about that because there are 10 NFC teams that I can name that could beat the Saints right now. And sticking in the same division, let's talk about the Panthers and Adam Thielen saying, I wanted to go somewhere where I had an opportunity to win a Super Bowl. But, you know, talking about that, this division is set up for, you know, CJ Stroud slash Bryce Young slash, you know, anybody else, if you can imagine that, to come in and possibly win the division because look at the Bucks, their quarterback situation is up in the air. You know, Baker, you know, we have a pretty good idea on, on what he really is. Look at the Falcons with Ritter, never really got much playing time. They're probably not going to get Lamar. And then talk about Derek Carr. Now a young quarterback rookie to come in with, you know, now DJ Chark, Adam Thielen, Miles Sanders, who they got from Philadelphia, Hayden Hurst, who was a pretty good role player on the Bengals last season. And now this defense is bulking up also again with, Von Bell and other people that have added, I mean, they could get some, they could get some traction. But I think it depends who they take first overall. And that leads me to the others. Zach, who do you think they're going to take first overall in the draft this year? I think it'll be Stroud. Um, it's, it's really tough to say, to be honest. And sometimes, I mean, with the whole Niner situation, when they traded up to take their quarterback, you don't really know. And sometimes they may not even know. So, we don't really know all the way who it's going to be. I, I don't know. I could see it going either way. My guess would be Stroud. Um, I think he's a little bit of a better fit there. Um, but we'll see. I, I really could see it being either C.J. Stroud out of Ohio State or Bryce Young out of Alabama. And, you know, Adam Thielen coming to the Panthers, it's, you know, kind of a, a relief for him because you know, use D.J. Chark, he won't be – you know, the biggest star, but in if you stayed in Minnesota, I mean, Justin Jefferson owns that wide receiver room 100%. So, 
he, you know, he still would have gotten some reps and some touchdowns, but it wouldn't probably be to the magnitude that he might may, may be able to get here in Carolina. And Luke, I want to ask you, as you know, a team with people coming in, such as all these free agents that's all these free agents that they've signed. If you're Frank Reich, how many kind of games do you think you have to like get this right? Because if they go out, you know, pretty bad this season, his job could be a question again. And that's where I think people need to be more lenient. You're talking, as you mentioned, they're bringing in so many different guys from all these different places. It's not going to all click in one, two weeks. It's going to take numerous weeks to click. And if that's what it takes in the NFL, time is very, very valuable. You want to win and you want to win now. And so they they might put him on the hot seat early, but even if he loses three games the first three weeks, I think that it's not a big issue because it's going to take time to put all these guys together. And then once they click, there are so many talented names on this roster now that they could be a scary team. Well, you know, in this division, they can easily get, you know, three to four, maybe even five wins. So if you can sneak out a couple of wins there, they could they could maybe make the wild card. But wild card, you know, each each year teams get tougher and tougher. So you never know. And Zach, I wanted to ask you, um, besides the Adam Thielen, has there been any kind of big signings that you have, you know, like, whoa, I didn't think like that that kind of shocked you. Um I mean, honestly, it's a smaller signing, uh, but the Patriots signing Mike Gesicki, I'm a Patriots fan, so that was one I really thought about a lot. It did seem a little bit strange to me. Um, maybe they're signing him as more of a receiver, but, I mean, they need blocking help because Mike Gesicki's more of a, a, a Hannah Henry-type tight end where he's more going to be an option in the receiving game, doesn't block super well. And we already have Hunter Henry, so why are we going out to get Mike Kosicki? I don't know. I don't question Bill Belichick's methods, but it, it was an interesting signing that stood out to me as a little bit strange, not one that I loved. And one question I just thought of right now, talking about Patriots tight end and John Smith getting traded to the Falcons, do you guys think that you know Pitts might be on the hot seat because they might be shopping him if you know they brought in Smith Pitts hasn't really been lived up to that potential, and you know, they could get some decent value out of him. Potentially. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know if how smart that would be. I mean, they're not in a win-now position. I'd say if they were in a, a team that had Pitts and they were a real contender, maybe that's when you dish him. You send him somewhere where he can develop but he's already in that place where he can develop. He's in Atlanta. So I feel like they can just sort of play him out there, maybe wait another year. If he still sucks, then maybe you can dish him. But honestly, I, I think he's, he's one of those unique players. He's a unicorn in football and he's, he's a tight end, but he's also a receiver. So, you know, I think they still have to figure out with him, like the kind of player that he's going to be, if he can be, a really good player for that team. I think they just have to wait it out a little bit. I don't think they should jump ship on him too soon, but we'll see how he, he pans out for them. But if you're Kyle Pitts, would you rather them trade you now and go to a team that can compete and maybe utilize him better? Or would you want to stay? 
if, if for me, if I'm Kyle Pitts, I'm trying to get out of Atlanta. I don't want to be there. As Zach mentioned, they're not a win-now team. He wants to win. He doesn't want to sit there not winning. So I think it wouldn't be bad for him to leave. Well, with teams like kind of bulking up offensively, talk about the Panthers, you know, Bengals with all their weapons, Patriots trying to get on that action. Look at the Raiders with all their weapons that they have. Chargers, teams with a lot of different pieces. It's, you know, Eagles. So it's different to see, you know, does he want to go somewhere where, you know, they have higher potential in a couple of years or does he want to stay and try to get better then? Because, you know, he could stay here or go to a team that, you know, has their Super Bowl windows closing. So you never know with that. And then to wrap up NFL, another quarterback, Jimmy G going to the Raiders after being on the 49ers for a couple of years. And he's kind of crazy because, you know, you talk about kind of a game manager like that. I don't really see the difference between him and Carr as many people would disagree, but I want to hear what you guys have to say. And I think a big difference is, is that he's new to the offense. I mean, they're similar players. I I don't – it seemed like a strange signing to me. I'm not going to lie. I mean, they're a team that's got a lot of talent on both sides of the ball, maybe not all around, but they do have talent that they could be a solid team if that's what they're going for. Jimmy G's just seems strange to me. Usually you'd get a guy like him to maybe open for a rookie, but correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe that they have a first-round pick in this upcoming draft. So are they really going for a rookie? I think it's it's hard to tell what their their plan is at quarterback for the future. Maybe maybe they see something in Jimmy G that he can take them to the playoffs. I don't know. We'll have to see, but it did seem strange. I don't see them being super competitive in that division. Well, I do think Jimmy G is an upgrade from Derek Carr. I think that Jimmy G is a better quarterback. He knows how to win. We've seen him win. But I do think he's in a in a bad situation because of their division. They're in the toughest, arguably the toughest AFC division. He's going to be facing Patrick Mahomes twice a year, Justin Herbert twice a year, Russell Wilson twice a year with a new coach and a new system. I don't think that it's the best situation for him, similar to Derek Carr. I think people slept on them and overlooked them beca- or him because he didn't get the opportunity to, to win in such a tough division. Now, He's also going from a tremendous coach in Kyle Shanahan to Josh McDaniels, which is huge difference. So I think that this is a test of how much was it Shanahan putting Jimmy G in a beautiful system and how much of it was Jimmy G just being a very good quarterback. And not to diss on Matt Ryan here, but kind of think of it like Matt Ryan last year. Left Atlanta, went to Indianapolis, and you know, got benched midway through. I don't think that'll happen to Jimmy G, but when you, like like you said, move into a, a new division, new system, new people, it can be hard. And, you know, playing in the AFC South won't make, won't make the wound any better. So you, know, you got to pick Patrick Mahomes twice every year, Herbert twice every year. Like you said, Russell Wilson. And each of those teams are pretty scary. So with Jimmy G, I think you have a couple of years left of your career and you know you gotta win a ring because after all this going back and forth from teams you just gotta well besides the patriots when as a starting quarterback i want him to win a ring i would like to go back to what lucas said about uh 
Kyle Shanahan because people, I think a lot of people forget about his time in Atlanta, maybe. I mean, he has a knack for getting players who aren't great to look really good. I mean, take Taylor Gabriel, for example. He had him look really good that one season, and then he leaves, and Taylor Gabriel's nothing. Same thing with Austin Hooper. Austin Hooper has not been great. He was really good in Atlanta, but then Kyle Shanahan leaves. You know, Austin Hooper isn't not isn't anything special. And, I mean, Marquise uh, Goodwin in San Francisco, he was really good the year that they made that Super Bowl appearance a couple years ago, and he hasn't really been anything special since leaving Shanahan's system. Now that it's Deshaun Watson. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, we'll see what happens with um, – with Jimmy G, but I, I think he, there's, there's reason to believe that he would be a product from a Kyle Shanahan system as well. And then taking it down to hockey again, watched it last night, heartbreaking for the caps for the Pittsburgh. It always seems like they give up these late leads. They were up three, nothing in the third, gave up three goals. And then Gunny Malkin, came back and ripped one. So Caps now six points behind the Penguins. They, if they would have won night, what well, last night, it would be a big swing, four-point swing. They would have been down two points from now, now they're down six. So with eight games left, that, that was kind of a game you kind of have to win because what I've told, talked to my dad about, in sports, in the playoffs, when it gets into the thick of it, you don't want to have to depend on someone else to lose. You want to be in control control your destiny and the caps are not in that position right now. And that that's the problem with the caps is they haven't seemed to be in control at any point in this season. And now your time is ticking away and they have that red alarm going off in the back of their head every single game. And they're close to under 500 La Violette on the hot seat, I would say. And the remaining schedule is nothing nice. You're talking about the Islanders twice, which they've had success this year against the Islanders. They're 2-0 and against the Islanders, but that's still a team that's in a playoff spot. You're also talking about the Rangers, a team they've had success, playoff spot, Bruins. They're, they've they're had some team. big games. They've had some big game versus the Rangers, and they've also gotten blown out by the Rangers. Yeah, that's, their, that's their issue is they don't seem to succeed against playoff teams, and that's what worries me. Yes, they can make the playoffs out of a miracle. It's one thing to make the playoffs. But it's a whole nother thing to win in the playoffs. In the to Stanley, the Stanley Cup is not a question for the Caps this year. It's just not on the table. You, the Stanley Cup playoffs, the hardest playoffs in sports. It's not possible for the Caps to win the playoffs this year, and I don't even think they're going to make the playoffs. No, led by Captain Alex Ovechkin, scored again last night, and I think he scored in the past four games. Yeah, he's wild, been on a tear versus the Wild, the Blue Jackets. They they beat the who they beat two games ago before the Penguins, Blackhawks. They beat the Blackhawks and he scored last night in his office. So you know forty two goals up to my counter eight twenty two. We got a little bobblehead when we went. So you know he's been on the tear. Hasn't played all games this season. Missed some. So talking about Zach and Luke, I want to hear what you have to think about Kuznetsov. Recently found out yesterday that he requested a trade. Well, he said he requested a trade something like two years ago or as well. He's not wanna he's not wanted to be in Washington, it seems like for a while, but they cannot lose him. He leads them in assists with forty one assists this year. 
you cannot lose a guy like Kuznetsov. He's a playmaker. He's a very good player. He's a he, he was a huge part of that Stanley Cup run back 2018. It was so you cannot lose him. But that that's my other question is, do you think that that has affected them going forward? Does it seem like they're starting to disconnect as a team? Because that 2018 run, they were very close together. And ever since, it seems like they've drifted apart. Well, Zach, I'll let you jump in if you want to. But quick little note here. At the trade deadline, I mean, they got rid of everyone. Garnett, Hathaway. A couple years ago, they got rid of Verona, who was a young star for them. Who else did they get rid of? They got rid of... They've kind of just started a rebuild, and I think they're trying to rebuild while still trying to win, and it's just not how the Caps work. It's not how Alex Ovechkin, TJ Oshie, these veterans like to work, and that's not how the Caps are going to win. And especially John Carlson, who came back and just came back, I think, two or three games ago, nine goals, 15 assists, one of the best defensemen in Caps history. And, you know, just for them to, like, fall apart, you know, every – up until like two or three years ago, they they led the league in power rankings every year as a young kid. And just to see them, you know, kind of go from here and, you know, kind of stagger down, sad. And it, it is. And Zach, jump in here. I mean, you've watched some Caps hockey. I'm not sure if you watch a lot of Caps hockey, but from what you've seen, I mean, you were with me last year when they lost in the playoffs. From then, that's kind of similar to right now, it looks like, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm not big on hockey, so I won't comment too much, but it's unfortunate. I mean, this is a team that's clearly going downhill, and if they're below 500 this year, that's not going to be good for Washington hockey. And like you said, Laviolette on the hot seat. I think he's been on the hot seat this whole season. They're probably waiting until the end to make a move. I'm curious to see who they bring in. I'm not really too big on a lot of NHL coaches' you know, background and knowledge, so I don't really know who's out there. I know Barry Trotz got dismissed a couple weeks, a couple. I don't think he'd make a difference to the caps right now. They're just in shambles. They don't, they're not healthy. They're old and it's sad. It, they're getting old. They're Ovechkin's towards the end of his career. He's going to retire in a couple years. It's the sad reality. Oshie's towards the end of his career. Backstrom Carlson's getting there, but Carlson, I think is going to be huge for the caps in these last eight games. You look, they're 15, 21 and six without him this season. And they missed him for a long time. Getting him back will be huge. He just brings in energy. He's a great skater. He's a great defender. He's very smart, like hockey smart. And he's a huge part, but goaltending, man. Goaltending has been another Achilles heel of the Caps. And it's both goaltenders. And it sucks because I was looking at the goaltending like stats this today. Vitek Vanacek, Ilya Samsonov, both top 10 in save percentage this year and goals against, and they're, they were horrible in the Caps. What is it with Caps goalies being in Washington, not being good, leaving Washington and being great, and then once a like, Kemper— Well, like, excluding Braden Holby, but— But still, he wasn't—I'm he wasn't. I'm not going to lie, he wasn't phenomenal. He never was a top-two goalie, top-three goalie in the league, and that's what the Caps need. They need goaltending because you can't be in a game like yesterday— with a minute left and giving up a goal like that. That was purely on Kemper. You can't. You have to have goaltending. Look at the Bruins. They have the best goaltender in the league this year. They're sitting at the top cruising. When you are secure in the back of the net, you can rely on your offense or defense just to go. The Caps can't. So I think with that, that was, I mean, our first live episode, I think, 
that went great. We definitely have more in store with this kind of platform with the you know video. I will definitely have Zach back on and planning to do a draft, a draft. You know what do you call a draft? You know post NFL draft analysis podcast. Round robin. Yeah, with Justin Goodstein, one one of another one of our closer friends, who's a Pittsburgh fan. So we'll have you know kind of a lot of different POVs, a lot of different draft positions, which will be interesting to talk about. You know, Steelers kind of closer, Ravens, you know, in the middle, Patriots iffy, Bengals in the back because we're gonna get this ring in a couple of years. Um, make sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok, Tough underscore Take, and on YouTube, just look up Tough Take. This is being broadcasted live to YouTube. This is just under 15 minutes, so definitely a great long episode. And with that, it's been Zach Green, Luca Delasta, and Zach Jackson. Thank you for like, thank you, Zach, for coming on the podcast. Thank you, phenomenal. It was great to talk some college basketball because there's nothing better than March Madness. I will give a quick a quick score update. It is halftime with Creighton up five. Yeah, so seems like that's the end of of the podcast. So thank you for listening. Have yourself a good day and let's go see some UConn basketball win a national championship.